3: Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals.
4: Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and in the studio this week, it's a packed house, which is good because we don't have to deal with uh, crackly phone lines and distracted phone guests. I can keep an eye on everyone and make sure they're fully concentrated. I am joined by Rory K. Smith... Alison Rudd, fresh off her appearance on uh, the Neil Aston programme, and Clive Petty. In our debate this week, we'll be looking at some of the issues with uh, fan behaviour, racism and sectarianism. We'll be going down to St. Mary's to see how uh, uh, Liverpool got on. Uh, but obviously, we're going to start at the home of the special one.
3: Now it's another corner to Burnley. And it's aimed
2: for me! And the former Manchester City man may have just given his old club a huge helping hand in the title race. 30,
4: 33, 43, 69. I have to say this about Jose Mourinho. The guy can communicate. The guy can obviously provide messages that are very effective and get his point across. I feel like nobody's really talking about the fact that the lead's been cut by two points, for better or worse. But we're all talking about those four numbers.
2: Ordinarily, you'd say that Mourinho... And there is, a definite, there is a definite pattern of that, that Mourinho, when his team have a bad result, Mourinho comes out and does something else or says something else to distract from it, and it's normally very effective. I don't think that is the case this time. I think that he was extremely exercised by the incidents that happened in those four minutes. I think it helps him, obviously, that it means nobody's talking about the fact that they drew it home to Burnley. But I think he... To, to a greater or lesser extent, has has a point in the in the context of the Burnley game that Chelsea were really hard done by. The thing that's a bit more troubling is that he does seem to believe that there is a conspiracy against Chelsea, and if there is a conspiracy against Chelsea, it is one that he has conjured entirely from his own imagination.
4: All right, you put you
2: put a lot of uh,
4: a lot of issues out there, Alison. You're the qualified ref. Can we just maybe knock this on the head once and for all? Quickly run through these, and see where he has a point. Minute 30. Ashley Barnes goes in on on Ivanovich, sticks out his leg, knocks him over. Yellow card?
0: Uh, yes, yeah, one of those could be yellow, could be red. Could be.
4: Uh, could, oh, be could, could be, be yellow or red, not like could be, be just a foul. Could be nothing, or could be, yeah.
0: no, because it's either reckless or dangerous and you need to probably be there to see the speed at which it was committed. It was a hard one to judge with the naked eye video replay show that it was at least a yellow card yep, okay. he's correct there
4: the handball in minute 33 off of Ivanovich's shot is that one so difficult to judge Look, with the naked eye
0: that is a debate all in itself because I think the whole handball is it needs tightening up I actually think we need some sort of FIFA committee to to to, to renegotiate how we judge handball I think the referee didn't give it because the player had his back to at the action. That's not good enough anymore. I think it's perfectly feasible to be seemingly to looking in the other direction but your arm to be out and knowing that there is a very good chance that your arm will block the ball. And I think the referee didn't give it because the player wasn't looking at the ball.
4: Okay, but that's not a reason not to give it.
0: Well, it, no, that it, it is, but I don't think it I think it needs to be discussed how Okay. Uh, maybe all you could conclude is the referee has to be able to judge it because he's there and he can tell whether the player was trying to be doubly crafty or not. But right. I think it's a cop out. Slightly, it's a cop out that just because the player has his back to the action, it's not a penalty.
4: Minute forty-three, Jason uh, Jason Shackle on Diego Costa.
0: Oh well, oh, you see, I thought that was really soft. If that had been given, mm. I think I think Sean Dyche might have been livid. It and, really and soft. He'd
4: be growling after the game too. You know,
0: you are allowed to touch you. Okay,
4: uh, minute sixty-nine. Obviously, that's the Ashley Barnes on uh, Nemanja Matic.
0: This is a deep philosophical issue, because...
4: Oh, really? <laughs> it
0: is, because the reason it's ascending off is because the initial foul was so <sighs> disgraceful, and therefore the referee is in absolutely no doubt that Matic is retaliating in anger, and you cannot do that. There would be anarchy okay, if you no. allowed players to take... I don't think anybody disputes that Matic has to go. No, but, right. but 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 if that same degree of shoving at at, at shoulder level took place in a sort of one of those melees where lots of players are squaring up to each other, it could quite easily have been a yellow, especially if Matic had not been the player to have been fouled. It's as if the more hard done to you are, the more likely you are to see red because it's quite clear that you are acting in anger and retaliation. I, I, it was I, a red. It was a red, point, but it is, more, it is peculiar. It, think, is peculiar it's so it is peculiar that it's a red because he was fouled so badly.
2: Right. If he's right. angry, he gets sent off. But if I'm he's also, just one of the, the most stupid, the worst ever that
3: the person who reacts against what is deemed a bad tackle, quite often gets the harsher punishment than the, the guy who has actually done, put, the tackle, yeah. done the tackle and committed the foul. That just seems uh, a Alison, uh, can nonsense. you can you explain why it's a red
4: card for Ashley Barnes or why it should have been, when, as Clive said he got the ball.
0: It doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore whether you Thank get the you. ball. It really doesn't matter. In fact, they're, they're quite clear when you do refereeing courses now. It's not completely irrelevant. There are cases. <laughs> maybe when we come on to discuss the Southampton-Liverpool game, we will see. But no, no, if it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It doesn't matter what you do with the ball. You can't You can't risk a player getting um, a broken leg.
2: I find that unsatisfactory. Not in the case of Barnes, because that was clearly a horribly dangerous tackle and should have been a red and, to be honest, should probably be a red with it with James added on. There needs to be some sort of, from the top, redefinition of, of what a handball is and when it's a handball and when it's not a handball because I personally am very confused and I, I would imagine that goes for quite a lot of fans who are very important, players and managers. No-one seems to be entirely certain w- when it's a handball. But I also think there is, there is a degree of confusion over when a foul is a foul and I think that needs to be, to be looked at again because at the moment it's very unsatisfactory and that's why you do get this inconsistency in refereeing because it's... The rules change so much, and there's so much leeway for interpretation. I do think, generally speaking, not in the case of the Barnes tackle, but broadly speaking, getting the ball should mean something. It should. That's the point of the game.
0: Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't.
2: No, if it's, if it's clearly reckless if you, as Barnes was, yeah, fine. If you, if if was, you slide yeah, in, fine.
0: two feet off the ground, stood showing, get all of the ball but you follow through and take the player that is a red card yeah. or
3: even if you don't follow through and well in the case of muddy the water is even more the foul where there is no contact whatsoever i.e., as in Wayne the Rooney, Rooney case because i must be the only person who has some sympathy with well i don't know the only person i've seemed to have read so far has some sympathy with um, Rooney's got to take amazing evasive action and i just think the guy makes a sliding tackle and doesn't doesn't get there but it's not both feet are actually on the floor. Yeah. His studs aren't showing. Somehow, the the excuse seems to be Rooney has to kind of evade him, as he would any tackle.
4: The as ball, opposed to Rooney has to run into this man who's six foot seven and weighs in. a million
3: pounds. over him. To jump over and, him. He did jump over him. And he then did. he decides, then actually, there. I can't get the ball anymore. And
2: then we decide that this guy seems to be, have been reckless. It was kind of dressed up as though if, if Rooney doesn't fall over, he has his leg broken. And A, you can jump over someone and not fall over. That is perfectly possible. But B... You could say the same of any tackle, that mm. it's potentially a leg breaker. I think there is an issue now whereby, yeah, fine, I get completely that it, it can be reckless if you. Even if you get the ball, and I get that you sometimes it can be a foul if you, even if you don't touch the man. But there's so many grey areas, and it, I, th- I think that this is a big issue with referees: that there are so many grey areas, and so much of it is not entirely clear and is slightly mutually exclusive. That we have a problem, and that's why we're getting so many inconsistent performances.
4: Broadly speaking, could they uh, could they clarify more? I think I mean I know it varies a little bit league to league, and UEFA also have their own directives, and FIFA have their own directives, but. I think a lot of the stuff is pretty spelled out, and I think what happened today, or what happened uh, on Saturday, is simply a case of a referee not seeing things properly. I thought it was interesting, and this might just be a a theory of mine, and obviously without those incidents Chelsea probably beat Burnley and whatever else, but rewinding a tiny bit to the Paris Saint-Germain game, Mourinho came out afterwards and, and said, well first of all they didn't play well at all in the second half, and I think except for Thibaut Courtois could have easily conceded three or four goals, but he mentioned that four or five players on the pitch hadn't trained all week. Do you think he even named them? I think it was Willian Hazard, Ivanovic, Sesk, and, uh, and Oscar. Are there slightly signs of fatigue and that you're kind of paying the price for playing the same close-knit group of players all year?
2: That's the one thing that I think everybody's always said, certainly on this panel. Everyone's always said about Chelsea that Mourinho doesn't rotate. He does have a core of probably 13 players that he uses week in, week out. He doesn't even change things that much. I mean, the biggest change he ever seems to make is dropping Oscar. It's always, oh, I'm going to change my team, I'm going to drop Oscar.
0: And Cahill
2: now. And now But he's, repl- he's not re- rotating Cahill, he just thinks was better. They both have their benefits. But I think that was always possibly going to be the issue for Chelsea, that they might get tired as things reach a sort mm. of climax. They, they, I would imagine they have the cushion in the Premier League. The issue may well be more... So, say semi-finals of the Champions League if they're out of energy. It's, I mean, the cushion, of course, is five points, and I guess it's
4: Clive. It, it, it's one of those situations where you kind of do a cost-benefit analysis. The benefit of playing the same close-knit group of players over and over again is that you develop chemistry, which is probably important because one thing I think few people have kind of mentioned. Mourinho went from a basics four-two-three-one scheme where you effectively had two destroyers in front of the, the back four. To one where you've got one large destroyer in Matic and then you have a creative basically attacking midfielder playing deeper in, in Sas Fabregas. So maybe because he had to find the right balance of that, he played the same people throughout and that's why Chelsea started so well.
3: It's 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 establishing a, a kind of pattern and core that everybody kind of knows their role, so that if something does happen, perhaps mishaps like this, you can there is something everyone knows what they kind <laughs> what they have to do. It's hard to know whether you can actually survive in this modern day with, with relying on just that core of players. As you say, there's a lot of games coming up. I suppose it's what emphasis what emphasis, or what importance he's placing on each competition. Would you, which is more important to him, the Premier League, I presume?
2: It's difficult to say. I think probably, yeah, probably it is slightly. I think he probably, he knows he needs a trophy this season. The Premier League is, is the most likely one. I so would I guess say the League Cup is, no? Yeah, a a trophy that is likely to impress his bosses.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, Mourinho said at the very start of the season he actually got shirty with me for questioning it because I think he was, I think he was bleating on about how City have so many. Mourinho doesn't
4: bleat. Okay, no, he he doesn't bleat. Sheep's bleat.
0: And Mourinho, and he was bleating on about bleating on about how. Big city squad was, and you know, hinting that financial fair play wasn't being adhered to. Far, you know, far too huge. And um, I said, well, but why? Why are you? Why are you so insistent? You want a very, very, you want the smallest squad you can have. You know, I only want, I only want so many strikers. I want so many midfielders. I don't want to swell the ranks because, as we've said, he likes a, a tight knit group that he can control. Even the, within the, t- the very small squad that he does have, he doesn't even rotate within that very much. It's not mm-hmm. as if he's diluted it to the point that... It makes sense to me to have a very, one of the smallest squads in the Premier League for a, for a club that's aiming for so many trophies. It makes some sense if you make sure every single player in that very small squad is top-notch and can slide in and out really easily so that it's almost imperceptible who's playing centre, defence or up front. It, it, you know you've got... You've got Top class all over the place, but even within his small group, there's such a gulf between his A team and his B team. I, 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 it, it's no, different to any it's, other club, it's, but it is quite well, staggering. No, given I, that they want to win four trophies,
4: I agree. And I also think this this Chelsea team this year is probably the best drilled Mourinho team that that I've seen, maybe since since Porto. In in terms of moving as a unit, tactically sophisticated, wingers working and, and whatnot. And so I think what happens is there's such a delicate balance to it that when they do change it up, that when you, know, when you change a piece to it, when, when Shorela comes on when he was there, when Cuadrado comes on, things simply work differently. And as we've seen, when they go to the 4-2-3-1, we saw it against Liverpool, we saw it against Paris Saint-Germain, that the 4-2-3-1 with like, the two holding midfielders, it simply doesn't work as well. You mentioned the word conspiracy Mm -hmm. earlier, and I think Mourinho doesn't like using that word. He prefers the words campaign, and he used the word story after the match, and I think, again, uh, when he appeared on on Goals on Sunday. And that, by the way, for those who don't know, aren't fortunate enough to live in the scepter dial, what a television spectacular it was. I don't know how it happened if it was just sort of the the stars lining up that we got to see Mourinho on Goals on Sunday. At the same time, you had Paul Gascoigne And Russell Brand on uh, on Fletch and Sav, and in the evening, we got one of the Gallagher's uh, on uh, on Match of the Day. uh, Noel, I believe. Anybody know why this happened? Um, Was this this like a special day in the in the British television calendar?
2: Well, I think it's the it's to rival. Oh, and oh, sorry. And
4: on and on Neil Ashton's program, we had Alison.
2: Exactly. It's remarkable. (laughs) So it's it's because it was Oscars Sunday that uh,
0: <laughs> Quick thinking, that
2: everybody everybody <laughs> wanted um some real sort of drama. Now Mourinho's Mourinho basically spent Saturday evening saying he didn't want to talk about his he made the complaint. This is what this is Mourinho's modus operandi. He makes a complaint. He then says he won't talk about it because he'll get in trouble, which means that the media have to insert square brackets and say this is what he's talking about, which saves him a little bit of money and makes it look as though he's not talking about it. What was different this weekend is that in some way he ended up on rolls on Sunday. Now we we can't be certain whether Mourinho called them or they called, I called know Mourinho. So Mourinho called them. Okay, so Mourinho called them. Uh, they bumped James Beattie, formerly known as the Beat, whilst at Southampton. <laughs> uh, and Mourinho goes on. And Mourinho, because he likes a challenge, in, in what I I'd like to think <laughs> will be, become known as like the 21st century Frost Nixon, will be Shepard Mourinho. I think that's <laughs> that, that's how we can see this going. He was on with Ben Shepherd and Chris Kamara, the one-time Bradford City manager. And one monologue, according to Matt Hughes in the paper, lasted 28 minutes from Mourinho, which is extraordinary. And I think we ha- there is a... There is Sorry, I watched that, and I know it didn't. He didn't talk for 28 minutes straight. It's in the Times. It's a paper of record. I think what the bigger well, issue there is not whether Mourinho ever spoke for 28 minutes straight, but why Mourinho wanted to do it and what he thought the benefit would be. Because, on the surface, it was quite a strange thing to do.
0: I don't think Mourinho actually believes that... There is a conspiracy. Yeah. I think Mourinho believes in himself so much that he feels that when he's right, he's right, and no one is really quite of the caliber of brain in terms of football as him.
2: Yeah, I think that there's probably some merit to that. It is normally something that he does to detract attention, to build a siege mentality or whatever, fine, all that stuff. But I do think that the Mourinho of today has been undeniably influenced by what happened at Real Madrid. He's a different character, he's not the same. I I don't think he's got quite as much control over himself as he did before Real Madrid, I think that changed him It it does look like Chelsea are suffering from bad refereeing decisions And I I genuinely believe, and I was at Southampton yesterday, that the more scrutiny we put on referees And that is something that is led by Mourinho, he is the person who is doing most of it He's not the only one but he is the, the standard bearer, the worse their performances are getting Correlation is not causation, obviously, but that's
0: a hell of a conspiracy yeah, that's theory. <laughs> right, that Jose Mourinho is the sole cause of poor, increasingly no, poor. No, no, no.
2: I'm not saying he's the sole cause. I'm saying that if you look at it right. objectively, what he's trying to do is not working. He's not suddenly getting the, the rub of the green. I if think that's what he's trying a, to do. It's, it's failing. I
4: think there's a broader there's a broader issue here. Ultimately, I think it's that there's a PR exercise at work here. If you have the manager of the team that's top of the table. Especially on a global stage, I mean, people can all joke, oh look, little Chelsea, ah, you know, they're, they're smaller than Aston Villa or whatever, it's just a brown money. But when you look at global metrics outside of England because of what's happened in the last 10 years, they are a huge club. Absolutely. If you've got the manager of this huge club with his fan base all over the world hinting that there is a conspiracy against them, it does not reflect well on the Premier League and on the powers that be. And I think it creates a climate, potentially, where if you're the Premier League and you have to sell this product and you want to sell a product that's seen to be clean and fair and people making mistakes, if they make them in good faith and whatever else, you would want that addressed. And this is why Mourinho gets fined. This is why any manager who complains about referees gets fined. Because, or who does it publicly? Because the minute you, you, you know, you attack the good faith of, of a referee, naturally the Premier League, the league which is a business and which, uh, you know, goes and, and shuts you down. But I wonder if together with that, Mourinho is it maybe hoping that somebody will have a word with the PGMO and, and, and Riley and say, like, hey, why do these guys seem to make mistakes all the time that hurt Mourinho? Why do these guys continue upsetting Mourinho? Why can't they referee fairly? And it puts a certain level of pressure on them where maybe Riley devotes a little more time talking to the referees. Maybe he's more careful about what referees he appoints. You know, I think this is the goal when, when you talk about this. I mean, it's, it's not some big Machiavellian plot. It's kind of the way the way certain people
3: operate but also i mean i don't know whether there is a sort of a graph to show whether they actually he actually is getting the the worst rub of the green than, than any other manager i mean he gets chelsea's injustices if you like get highlighted because it's mourinho and because it's chelsea but the, the very same weekend ronald and Koeman has three or four and equally but we're, and but we're not talking about no we're those. gonna get we're we're, we're we're gonna get to that
2: Oh, that's straight to Moreno. Possibilities here for Liverpool. Moreno's now found by Sterling. Target slips. Sterling! And that surely is that. Two shots, two goals for Liverpool.
4: This is, this is our segue. We have concluded the Chelsea segment but of the programme. Now we're moving on to Southampton.
2: And although you are my vast intellectual superior, Gabriele, Indeed. I'm going to... I genuinely believe there is an issue here, which is that the more... Not just Mourinho talks about referees, the more scrutiny there is on referees, the more pressure there is on referees, I think there probably is a correlation between all of that and referees making mistakes. And I think it's a specific form of mistake, which is the refusal to give a decision. Because I think... Psychological subject. You subjection. wrote, this in, I did, your, you wrote I,
4: this in your piece. Can you give us a quick, quick sum up on the context?
2: It. So basically, Kevin Friend, there were four decisions yesterday in the first half. There was a what would have been a soft penalty from Emre Chan on Juricic, but could easily have been a penalty. There was a definite penalty from Joe Allen on Juricic, which was definitely a penalty. <laughs> which was A terrible call. There was the incident with Mignolet, where you, you could have sent him off but it did hit his, the ball hit his chest first and then hit his arm but equally you could have sent him off for that and, and it, Liverpool would have complained but you could have done it, would have been understandable had he done so and there was a Lovren handball that was a handball and was a penalty Koeman responded really well and deserves a huge amount of credit for the way that he handled it which was to say human beings make mistakes didn't go down the line of saying we were hard, we were hard done, done to he deserves a lot of credit for that on a sort of human level but in all of those four cases Kevin Friend who had a woeful day and I don't like criticising referees but Friend was appalling Throughout, there was actually the worst one, was Emre Chan wiped out Nathaniel Klein on the right wing midway through the first half in what was the clearest booking you will ever see. And he just waved play on. Yeah, and you could tell that St Mary's was kind of angry but also baffled because it was just obviously a booking. And I think all of those were non-decisions. He, what Friend did was not make a decision. And I think the psychological subjection comes into play, which is that referees know... That not making a decision is probably preferable to making a decision in terms of the the scrutiny and the pressure you get if you get it wrong if you make a wrong decision if you give, a, give the penalty wrongly, you get a certain amount of stick if you don't give the penalty wrongly, you get a, an amount of stick as well, but it 's probably less and I think there is a there is a real issue here about w- about how we confront the whole issue with refer- the whole thing with referees Because what 's happening at the moment is not working, because standards do seem to be slipping. Everyone always says standards are slipping, but this season there have been so many obvious mistakes and so many poor performances that something is clearly badly wrong, and I don't believe it's that the referees have got words.
0: I think Rory's maybe unwittingly hit upon the reason why refereeing standards have gone down. It's... every. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: the intensity on, on the spotlight on referee grows. It's so rare now to get to get a, a show, any any type of football show where, where refereeing doesn't get, come in for some criticism. How on earth are you going to attract top caliber people, people who could earn a lot of money being brain surgeons or whatever to choose refereeing <laughs> because you, you've, you've said, no gap. you have said, you did not you just, say, you did you not just said, say
4: brain surgeons. You've said you're Cal- searching for your, for your, to remove Sorry, your thrombo, thrombo excuse, today will be Andre Marinette. No, seriously, like, okay, let's imagine I'm 21 years old, right? I referee on the side if I'm moving up the ranks and I am really good at it and I'm, I'm really, really good at it. I'm a really good referee and I'm also a really good doctor with an, actual, with an actual chance of going to medical school and becoming a brain surgeon, right? You're telling me there is a single Premier League referee Who's found themselves in the history of humanity, who's found himself in that position and said, like, no, you know what? I'd rather go and start down in the Uh, Ryman's League.
0: You want people (laughs) refereeing you who are clever, who have the right skill set, who get it.
4: Yeah, and and, 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 who are decisive and sure of themselves. can't think what
0: else to do, aren't even good enough to play football, want to be involved in some way, and so they become referees. And they're not particularly clever people.
4: It could also simply be that this time around, maybe. You know the, the gene pool is such that you don't have a great generation of referees, or maybe you don't have a great generation of referee assessors and selectors. Maybe they made mistake. Maybe there's tremendous referees further down. who Do you think there's a, speci- for,
2: uh, do you think there's a specific gene yeah. in, the, in the in the human in the see, human I, I, genome I, I, I for being a referee I selector? A analogy, but I mean
3: th- that's one set of people. I assume we don't have to choose referees from one select <laughs> you lot. Are people about to be referees? They can come from anywhere. I kind of agree with Alison in that. I think season after season, as, as Rory said, the scrutiny of referees just becomes more and more intense. As There's more and more cam- uh, cameras, there's more and more gizmos yes. to show everything. The number of times you hear a pundit say, well, let's look at it from here, and from here, oh, it looks a penalty. But then you look at it from this angle, and uh, for me, as but- soon as anybody says that, forget it. You but you know what? Actually, the doesn't, I, get to angles, doesn't get two angles. Doesn't get. I have a different
4: looks. reaction though to that. When I see that, I see like you know what? This is a really, really difficult decision because from different angles it looks different ways, or he's unsighted or whatever else. I actually empathize with the referee well, more I mean. when uh, you have that situation exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and and
3: I become. You stop debating that it's yeah, a, it was a and, tough decision. And, and
4: I don't think this season actually match officials are that much worse. Than the last season, I think. That, I mean, I, I I don't see this whole. Yes, did friend and Atkinson have absolute shockers? Of course they did. I don't think. I mean, do you guys really think that the the, the perception of refereeing is that it's really worse, or do we just talk about it more this year? Not compared to the 1980s, but compared to two two three four years ago.
2: So. First of all, I'd like to say how much I enjoyed that classic bit of Marcotti dialogue where you disagreed with Clive whilst violently agreeing with him, which is, which is, which is, what, I, which is what all conversations with Jabba like. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the, the, there's a flip side to what to what you're saying. I think oh, oh, look, he's think, agreeing and disagreeing with you as no, well. No, 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 everyone's right, but I think there is, there is one other factor, which is not only that the increased scrutiny leads to more pressure, but it's also that the, the increased scrutiny in and of itself Tends to highlight flaws So the more cameras you have on a stadium The more angles you can present to your viewers of To say this is a mistake As soon as you need right. two two angles To stand it up or two handles show uh, contrasting things, then it's not an argument. The referee gets one, you can see why he's made the decision. But the more, the more scrutiny we put on things, the more mistakes we find, so, which is why maybe it is, maybe it is a trick of the light. Maybe referees are doing just as averagely as they always do, which is basically the I... general standard. But we see more mistakes right. because, we, because we look for more mistakes.
4: Football-wise, with uh, uh, some Liverpool love on, 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 this, on this panel, it's a good result, right?
2: Good result, poor performance, brilliant job.
4: Were Liverpool that bad? Because I thought Mr Jordan Ibe was really, really impressive. Uh,
2: the players who emerged with credit were Ibe, Allen and Skirtle. Joe yeah. Allen had good game shot Joe Allen was excellent. Oh. Joe oh. Allen was excellent. Yeah, if, Apart, from, if, giving if, Apart given, from giving away the penalty. the penalty yeah. given, you'd saying
0: he let his team down, wouldn't you? No, yeah. but just
2: players make mistakes. You humans make mistakes. Anderson, as Ronald Koeman once said. I, I imagine it's fashionable to say,
4: oh, look, Southampton are falling off, just as we predicted. But it seems to me they are quite a fair number of players unavailable.
0: Partly because they turned up for their lunch too late.
4: Can you explain this, please, for people who might it's, be unfamiliar? Not, yeah, was
0: no, Mane, Mane right. did, wasn't wasn't uh, he was only on the bench, he would have started, because uh, he's been playing very well lately, but he was put on the bench as a punishment for not meeting the team on time for their lunch, for their pre-match lunch.
4: Okay, but it's also Tadic and, and, and
2: Bertrand, and yeah, I'm sure there's out, others tadic, tadic I don't tadic is, remember. Tadic is tired. They, they, Aldevar, 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 isn't there? Ald, yeah,
0: Toby.
2: He's a big miss. He's a big miss, he's a The um, yeah. It's funny,
4: you guys really like Toby Alderweireld. It's interesting. Why
0: don't you like him, go?
4: Because my lord and master Diego Simeone didn't particularly rate him as a footballer.
2: I think he's quite a clever player, He play in lots of different positions. He's, he's quite very nice, nice like, about
0: yeah. Simeone.
4: But I'm just saying, maybe Simeone just had. It's a
0: bit mean, isn't it? It's down. only one way.
2: Yeah, Southampton are struggling a bit because the, the size of the squad, which might might always be an issue, especially if you get injuries and suspensions and people being late for the lunch. It's more the goals. So I've seen their last three home games, Southampton, and, and they, poor you. they did look like scoring. Against Liverpool, but only until Kevin Friend got involved, and then. Um, but it Swansea and West Ham, they, they didn't. They barely had a, a sniff.
4: So on a more serious note, uh, obviously we saw what happened in Paris last week. I'm assuming everybody's seen the video of uh, Sulaiman S. The I think was is he, he from Niger originally, but anyway, he's, he's he's a black French man who was trying to get onto onto a train. He was pushed off once. He tried to get back on, pushed off again. And then you see Chelsea fans singing We're Racist, We're Racist, and That's the Way We Like It, to the tune of the... Uh, is it Little Peggy Sue? No, what's the...
0: Well, it belongs to Crystal Palace, that tune. That I don't know why palace, they're using
2: palace
4: off, it. It's Palace off. Okay, I, th- I think it dates back to the 50s, actually. At the same time, there's... Stan Collymore in particular is really highlighting the issue of sectarian songs at rangers north of the border i i'm assuming nobody's going to come out and say like oh this is a good thing we should encourage this kind of behavior or indeed i don't think anybody wants to argue that we shouldn't be policing it does anybody have any bright ideas about how to take things forward and deal with it
0: i wouldn't lump together the two incidents that's what i'd say first but stan collimore
4: has and he's played i don't think
0: i don't think no i don't think sectarian chanting and the paris metro incident all racism in football where you get a gang of fans shouting at someone whether they're a fellow fan or a passerby or a player because of the colour of their skin it's comparable because it's it's give and take in sectarianism you have your chant and you yell it out and they chant it back and it's sort of 50 50 and it's equal and it sort of meets and it fizzes and it dissolves and they just get on with it it's it's not persecution in the same way at all so I, I would i would separate them out as two completely different issues and i think we're on dangerous ground if we try and broad brush this
4: i would tend to agree i think there's another difference too uh, which is that here you have a specific incident involving an individual whereas with sectarian chanting you've got a crowd of people singing something but it's not necessarily directed at one
3: things it's just what you do when you turn up at either Ibox or or celtic park it's somehow that that do people it, it always becomes or they think it's become part of <laughs> The match ritual. Yeah. You know, exactly. there go, are people, there are people you who buy song.
0: tickets but just for that
3: experience. For that. And yeah, it's a But when they leave, yeah, but when they leave the the uh, the ground, it's not as if you walk the streets of Glasgow and it's a hotbed of sectarianism. I mean, we've just had, you know, they were lauded for a fantastic Commonwealth Games. No one went there thinking, I, mean, I walked down the street and there was, you know, one half of the Glasgowers singing songs about I mean, feeling blood. I mean, it, it just only occurs. No, 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 that it's, thing. It's Whereas, also- Whereas the, the, the whole thing about the incidents in, in kind of Paris is it still kind of happens away from football. They just become a bit of a stronger unit. They feel able to do it because they're together there as, as one unit and they've taken it out of that football context. And that's the dangerous thing about what happened in Paris. Um, I think that's is, a
4: really yeah. good point that it, it is away from... Mm. I mean, you're on the way to the game, but it is, <laughs>
3: it is out of the football cart. It I mean, is, it could have
4: been anybody on the street.
3: The thing about the thing on Paris is it's almost... It's kind of Twitter on tour... Yeah, people get the, the anonymity on Twitter allows as well as if, you know Stan Collinmore for instance you know only has to make one tweet and the racist element will just come out and bombard him with all sorts of stuff and and they're empowered because no one knows who they are and there's you know there's a lot, lot of them. it's the same with once you get all these people in one group sort of conglomerating as Chelsea fans yeah. they feel enamored to be able to do this it's not as if they feel these things just because when they become Chelsea fans they still have those feelings they're just not allowed to express them once they're out on their own, when they're back in their office, yeah, you when they're can't, back you in
0: not their... stand at the water cooler, shouting, no, "I'm racist! I'm racist!" and I like but, it. Yeah,
3: but suddenly you're in a group of, uh, of of people, you get empowered by that sort of thing, and I, and, I, and I don't think we can divorce what happened from the outside of society. and The society is kind of changing. It's it's, it's almost like someone's decided to have some sort of nostalgia tip for the seventies and eighties in 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 everything. So you know there were welfare cuts, people aren't as well off. Uh, society is kind of more. Right wing in general, and it's no, I don't think it's any coincidence that those people now feel empowered enough or ignored enough to actually, when they come together, that that's come back too. and I think it shouldn't be allowed to grow. I don't think we should just ignore them. You you kind of try and stop it now.
0: I'm not being ignored.
2: I think there is a link. I I know what Alison means about the the sectarianism and, and sort of racism aren't the same issue, and that there is a big difference, but there is a link. With both, so when when Stan brought up the and it's not that's not something I followed closely, I've got to admit, not because I don't care about sectarian chanting. Partly, I guess it's really hard because you kind of know with that one, it's not going to change. Rangers aren't going to stop singing the Billy Boys. They just they're just not going to because there will always be a hardcore that will that see it as part of their identity and they've co-opted it into their fan identity. But the similarity between the two, I think, or the, the connection between the two is that there's the whataboutery of the of the old firm. So as soon as you say to Rangers, stop singing the Billy Boys and we're up to our knees in Fenian blood and all that stuff they say well what about Celtic what about what they sing who gives a flying f*** about what Celtic sing stop singing it that should be your response as any organisation as, as any club it should be it doesn't matter what the other side's singing, let's take the moral high ground but they don't they say well what about them and I think the reason that that has become so, such a strong defence is because, in a weird way, the Rangers fans feel as though they are being... Singled out. Singled out and persecuted and, and sidelined. And I think that, as Clive says, in an increasingly right-wing society, where, the, where there is this rhetoric about immigration and all that stuff, where, where those views are becoming a little bit more mainstream, there is a group of people that has been empowered to say, well, we're just saying what we think, because they, they perceive, wrongly, their views have been sidelined. So they are now claiming that... I, what I found, there was a lot about that video that was really, really odd... But one thing that I find consistently odd is that people could possibly think the word racist is a good thing. Like, you could self-define self, self define as a so racist um, and, and think that's like a... The, do you know what I mean? The, their defence
3: <laughs> seemed to be lording... <laughs> we weren't being racist. We were lauding a man for being, ra- for being racist. I'm thinking, what? Yeah. How does that work? Chelsea did, did the right thing, yes?
2: Anybody oh, yeah, brilliant. Wanna, Chelsea were brilliant. Chelsea yeah. were brilliant.
3: Anybody read Matt Huser's
4: piece about sort of talking about Chelsea standing by, John Terry and juxtaposing that with the Chelsea fans? Or was it just me? I thought it was off the mark there.
0: Off the mark? Tell off, us why Matthews was Hilton. wrong. I just don't see the logic in... Actually, Rory, I think you addressed this in the paper as well. So maybe you should... Because I agreed with you. I, I just
4: don't... Please sum up Matt's position. Matt's position
0: was a degree of hypocrisy in how well Chelsea have handled the Paris Metro incident because they were a little mealy-mouthed when it came to John Terry being accused of... Um, an act of racism when he when he called uh, Anton Ferdinand something that was um, yes, insulting happened, and derogatory. Yeah. And um, I think Matt's point was, well, you know, they didn't suspend John Terry, they stood by John Terry, and in some way, this has given succor to those uh, Chelsea fans who might be of a of, of racist inclination that they're in, at the right club, and and the club probably would quite like them to show their racist bent. Sometimes, I mean. He didn't say it in those terms, but that seemed to be the. He was creating a link between the way Chelsea stood by John Terry, and the way that there, it is now Chelsea fans who've been seen to behaving in, in an appalling manner. But I don't see the link. For, for, for the start, in a, pure, a purely practical level, I don't see how any club can. Suspend a player who is accused of, of making a racist gesture or remark because it becomes a tool in football. That if you want to get a key player suspended at a club, you just start throwing a banding around all sorts but, of comments. You can't suspend a player who's under investigation.
4: Point, in Chelsea's case, they, they had an assumption of innocent or proven guilty with John Terry, and they didn't extend that to these supporters, right? I think
2: so my view is 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 not that Hughes is wrong. I think you can. Good thing is
4: not because I mean you wouldn't want to say that given that Matt Hughes went to a far more prestigious university than you did.
2: That is incorrect. I think that Hughes is wrong. I think there probably is an element of the way that Chelsea handled the Terry thing probably did give a little bit of sucker to people who think that way. But I think there is there is also another there's another issue which is a much bigger issue which is whether are these people actually racists or is it the case that they behave as racists. to in some way claim that behavior does they think it's countercultural or something i don't know
4: there's no point debating whether somebody actually is racist because you can't read their mind and you can't read their hearts what you can say is i won't tolerate any racist behavior yes and and that's that Enough nasty nostalgia. How about some quick hits instead? Manchester United fall at Swansea 2-1 and slip down to fourth place, even with Wayne Rooney restored to his position up front and getting his first shot on goal of 2015. Clive, are you any more clear on what Van Hal is doing or trying to do?
3: It was hard to work out that Wayne Rooney had actually been restored. He did well to get his first shot on target because I consider he was dropping further and further back as vanguard decided that his best tactic once again was to hit the big man and just lump it forward i've he only no. did that at the end it's like resort to that this is meant to be the one of the greatest brains in in the in modern football and yet well, here he is resorting to hit the big man if an english manager done that he would be pilloried <laughs> mercilessly. okay so i have you. no idea i have no idea and i don't think what's more worrying vanguard yeah. in well, february coming up to March and he has no idea what his best team is yet.
4: Thank you, Clive Allardyce. I um, actually thought United actually played reasonably well, but I thought Swansea, obviously they got the points and they showed a lot of resilience. And I think they should get some love, also because we had a request via Twitter. First we thought it was Rodgers, then we thought it was Loudrip, then we thought it was Boney. Uh, but they're all gone and Swansea are still there in the top half of the table. Rory. What's the secret? Explain. Neil
2: Taylor. Um, no, the um, the secret of Swansea is that they have a long-term plan in place. They do not panic. They do nothing knee-jerk. They know what sort of players they want and how they want to play. And it's all very sensible. And I think it is. It, it, there's a danger that you can become used to something so, so you forget how special it is. Swansea City have consistently been a top ten side in the Premier League for three years. That is one of the most remarkable achievements of the modern era.
4: Well done, the Swans. Arsenal take all three points at Selhurst Park. Alison, you were there and you describe it in your match report as a, quote, economical win. What does that mean? And B, were they looking ahead to the Champions League?
0: Yes and no. Um, I mean, this is the way Arsenal play now. They seed more possession than they used to and it's working for them, so they carried on doing it. But... The Southhurst Park pitch was abysmal and, um, you know, it, 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 <laughs> it Wenger said afterwards, all, all, all the players' knees are sore. And so they in- increasingly just, just, just sort of stood still and absorbed. They didn't want to run around anymore and I think that was partly in preparation for the game against Monaco.
4: you she the big banner from the Palace fans before the game?
0: Yes, um, it, was, it was clever, but I can't recall what it was. Think about the like the greed and the, the, the troughs.
4: There you go. Spurs huff and puff and come from behind for the umpteenth time to avoid a home defeat with West Ham and draw 2-2. Clive Pochettino seemed to think your lot deserved it, did you? I'm
3: not going to say any different, yeah. There's two (laughs) ways of watching Tottenham at the moment. They they start off really well, create a lot of chances and don't score, and that kind of gives the opposition a bit of confidence and they kind of dominate. But what is great about watching Tottenham at the moment and something you don't usually identify with Tottenham is the kind of character and fortitude that allows them to keep going until that 83rd, 4th, 5th minute and then they, they salvage a point, salvage more points from losing situations than any other team. So on Tottenham like,
4: Manchester City romped to a five nil win over Newcastle. um Roy, is it the best possible way to prepare for the Champions League? you seeing glimmers of belief that they can catch Chelsea yeah,
2: do they kind of glimmer or do they need a conspiracy to ramp up they They kind of yeah the referees aren't doing their job well enough yet um the, the you see glimmers, and then it fades because city is still a little bit inconsistent. They've got Liverpool away next week, which would be very interesting. Liverpool obviously coming off the back of a shit's ass. City off the back of Barcelona. But yeah, in terms of the Barca game, that was literally the, the best game you could possibly possibly have hoped for before the Champions League, because Newcastle made it absolutely piss-easy.
4: Uh, John Carver not having the best time. They were terrible. Hull City get a huge win over QPR in the battle to avoid relegation as Joey Barton gets sent off. Allison, it was a weird one because Barton tried to play the peacemaker and then appeared to lovingly reach out for Tom Huddleston's privates. Barton has since apologised, but was the referee a bit harsh? Isn't that kind of normal behaviour, reaching out and touching another man's scrotum?
0: Well, I do it. I do it all the time. But, um, yeah, but that's
4: only with your husband.
0: <laughs> Remarkably, that specific sort of incident wasn't covered in my own referee course, but I think it, we're back to retaliation, and the referee was there, and he the reason he gave a bed was... He didn't see it as a joke, he saw it as retaliatory behaviour and that's
2: why he got a red card. Dale, I have a question for you. Yes, it's based on your excellent column today in The Times, which I recommend everybody should read. Um, Are Palmer really going bust? And why?
4: Indeed they are, because uh, they've had a succession, they've had a a fairly mad owner who um, is the uh, son of a very wealthy family who uh, bought the club when it was virtually debt-free and then uh, spent some money on it, not enormous amounts, And then uh, the family cut him off, and so he started borrowing against future earnings, Peter Ridsdale style, uh, as you well know, Uh, except he borrowed so much and spent the money so idiotically that um, there's no money left, and so he just decided, I, I don't need to pay the players or the suppliers or security staff at the stadium or the gas bill or the electric bill, and so nobody's been paid since July. It's an absolute freak show of a situation that there's two options. Either the club just folds and don't play the rest of their fixtures, which would be Horrible, or uh, the league chips in, pays the players' wages between now and the end of the season, pays the suppliers, keeps it going, and then in the summer the club would restart from down a division.
2: departments still have about two hundred players on their books, vari- vari- various ones on loan?
4: This is one of the reasons they find themselves in this situation. They um, they bought a third division club, they bought a club in Slovenia, and then stocked them with players that they bought, but it was all these sort of mediocre turdy players. Lots of weird questions about that. You may also note that two familiar places from the World Cup, Varela, of course, who's Portuguese international, and um, Cebollita Rodriguez, Clemente Rodriguez from Atlético Madrid, who uh, played in the Champions League semifinal. These guys rocked up at Parma on loan uh, in January, which seems bizarre. Why would you choose an employer where nobody's been paid since July? There's also... Albanian businessmen involved, and there's a lot of unanswered questions.
2: But my question was going to be, if if they fold and they release like 200 players into the market, will that have the same effect as the Saudis maintaining oil production on does on the price of Brent crude?
4: The, the, the price of uh, mediocre no-name footballers may well drop as a result. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes or Player FM, if you have an Android device, please do so now. Many, many thanks to my guests today, Allison Rudd, Clive Petty, and of course, Rory K. Smith. Uh, check out thetimes.co.uk on your digital device. You get all of that free as part of your subscription. If you're not a member yet, you can take our one-pound digital trial today. Just search Times Sport online. Bye-bye.
3: Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.
2: Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.
4: Small details are big surfaces?